excited as LJ's undisputed best friend. Uh, it brings in <laughs> undisputed male best friend. Uh, would you please welcome um, LJ? Um, I think I'm. Yeah, hey, hey, I'm good. Hey, what's up, y'all? How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Uh, well, good morning, guys. Good morning to all you that are in here, and good morning to our online folks. How you guys doing as well? Um, so over the past month, as you may or perhaps may not know, we have been uh, in a message series about life groups, which, as Justin said, launched uh, September 18th. And we've really been talking about the kind of life groups that we want to see at branches uh, this year. So we've been talking about and, and focusing on four qualities or practices that we want our life groups to embody. So we want our life groups to pray, to reach, to care, and to empower. If you remember, at at the beginning of our series, we talked about how we want to have groups that pray with the power of the Holy Spirit, not just by praying about specific needs, but also by sharing specific words of encouragement that the Holy Spirit gives us to share with people, even even praying for the healing of people uh, when they have different ailments. When we pray for people with, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we experience God's power, and it changes our lives and the lives of those in our group. We then discussed how we want to also have groups that reach beyond the group by praying for and inviting people to our group who, who may not know Jesus or who may not have a, a church family to call home so that they too can experience the kingdom of God through us. Two weeks ago, we discussed that we also want to have groups that give and receive care by choosing to make friends with and offer our trust to people in the group. We also discussed how in groups that, that care, we, we, we want to show up for others that have needs in the group, just like the women disciples did for Jesus and his disciples in Luke chapter 8. Furthermore, groups that care uh, grow up. As friendships are developed within the group, there is going to be friction and, and, and conflict and of all kinds. And, you know, but, but that's good because addressing conflict is how we grow. And so today, as we wrap up this series, we are going to talk about our last element that we want our life groups to embody. And that is this. We want to have groups that empower. The big idea is that groups that empower involve everyone. Groups that empower involve everyone. So when I was in uh, high school, I had to do just a lot of group projects, a lot of group projects. And uh, there, there was one in particular that, that involved myself, uh, my friend Deborah, and this kid that we knew named Tremaine. Now, Tremaine, how do I put this? He, he, wasn't, he wasn't a good student. He just, he just wasn't. He just wasn't. Um, he, you know, you know, goofed off in class. He didn't really work that hard. He got bad grades. But Deborah and I, on the other hand, we worked hard, you know, re- really worked hard for our grades, got A's. We were great students, right? And so when Deborah and I found out that we were in this group with Tremaine, we knew that we'd be doing most of this work ourselves. And that's pretty much what happened. Tremaine didn't do any of the work. 
Meanwhile, Deborah and I, you know, worked hard for, for, you know, for, for this project. We, we, you know, just, man, worked really hard on this project. You know, just, just a lot all day, all night. And Tremaine didn't contribute whatsoever. And, and, and Deborah and I were really upset and mad at Tremaine. We, 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 we resented him for this so much so that at the end of the project, we asked our teacher if we could omit his name from our project altogether. And she obliged, actually. And so we got A's, and Tremaine got a zero. But all these years later, I can't help but wonder if that situation could have gone a little bit differently. What if Deborah or myself had empowered Tremaine to be involved in the group? What if we had given him some sort of task or responsibility? I can't help but imagine that our resentment and and anger towards him wouldn't have even existed because he would have had meaningful involvement in the group. Perhaps his confidence in his work would have been fostered because, again, he would have had meaningful involvement in our group. So this is what I mean when I say that groups that empower involve everyone. In these kinds of groups, not only is the leader doing meaningful work, but everyone is doing meaningful work. Everyone is contributing to the mission of the group. And while we hope that every person will be in a life group this year, if you can't, the truths about empowering people for meaningful work can apply to many areas of your life besides life group. So this, this, this concept of empowering people is what we see in today's passage. For the past month in this series, we've been camping out in Luke, following Jesus as, as he goes throughout Galilee, calling his disciples. You know, he, he's healing people and preaching the, the good news of the kingdom of God. So, so last week we were in Luke chapter 8 with, with Jesus and his disciples as they were on tour proclaiming the kingdom of God to cities and, and villages. And we, we highlighted the women disciples of Jesus and how they gave care to, to Jesus and, and his disciples. Today, we are one chapter later in Luke 9. Now, between Luke 8 and Luke 9, a bunch of stuff happens. A, a bunch of stuff goes down, right? You know, you know Jesus, you know, he, he preaches about the, the, the kingdom of God, but then he calms a storm. He, 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 he heals a woman with the issue of blood. He, he writes a little girl from the dead. Just a lot of stuff happens. He does all of this stuff by himself. And, you know, I can't, I can't help but think that after he was done doing this stuff, he might have thought to himself, he, he said, you know what? It's about time for these 12 disciples to get in on this work as well, not just me. And whether or not he thought that, you know, that's kind of what happened. So let's take a look at Luke 9, starting at verse 1. So one day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah and one of the other prophets risen from the dead. 
I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this man about whom I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. So I want to spend some time focusing on the first two verses of this passage. Again, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So, so far in Luke's gospel, the disciples have just been watchers. Just, 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 just been watchers. Here's, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. They've watched Jesus tell people about the kingdom of God. They, they've watched him cast out demons. They've watched him heal people of, of all diseases. But here in these verses is where they move from watchers to doers. Here is where they move from mere spectators of Jesus' ministry to active participants in his ministry. They spent a lot of time with, with Jesus, learning from Jesus, watching the things that Jesus does. But now they get to do the things Jesus does. But before the disciples go out and do the things that Jesus does, Jesus does something very important first. He empowers them. He gives them power and authority to do the very things he was doing. It is only after he empowers them that they are then sent to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus didn't do all the work himself, but he, as the leader of his group, empowered specific people to have meaningful involvement in the group. So let's, let's bring this passage to Branches Vineyard Church 2022 Life Group Season. What does this passage have to do with us? Well, in order to have groups that empower, we have to have leaders that empower. It, it was never the, the intent of Jesus to, to just do everything himself. As we see in our passage, Jesus willingly gave responsibility to his disciples. And in the same way, life group leaders can't hoard leadership to themselves, but they have to be willing to give responsibility and leadership away to everyone in the group because groups that empower involve everyone. Life groups shouldn't be, you know, groups where, there, where there's only one doer doing the work and seven watchers watching. But in life groups that empower, everyone is a doer. And, you know, there might be a short period of time where, where folks are learning from and watching the, the leader you know, do the work, but it shouldn't stay that way. Everyone should eventually move from watchers to doers in a life group. Now, practically, this could look like a, a whole bunch of different things, right? You know, for example, if, if, if someone is really you know, friendly and, and, and outgoing, a leader could empower that person to, to, to greet people when they arrive. Perhaps this, this could look like empowering someone to lead dis discussion questions. If someone is good at organizing, this could look like, you know, uh, empowering that person to, to, to organize who brings the meals or, or snacks for that week, and then that person can empower others to actually bring the snacks for that week. Maybe this looks like, you know, someone uh, leading prayer time or, 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 or you know, pick, picking the, the, the worship song on YouTube. But the bottom line is this. Life groups are not a space where the life group leader gets to showcase his or her abilities. Right? Life groups are not the Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> right? So if, if you've ever watched the Tonight Show or, or, or you know, Jimmy Kimmel Live or 
whatever, you know that the format of these shows is as follows. The announcer will come on and say, it's the night show with Jimmy Fallon, with special guests, Denzel Washington, Lil Bow Wow, Tom Cruise, whoever, whoever. And now here he is, Jimmy Fallon. Ah, and everyone's applauding and yeah, yeah. But then after that, Jimmy Fallon will usually do some kind of comedic monologue that, that showcases his abilities. And then he'll interview the guests. And, and, and even though these guests are famous and stars in their own right, the clear star of this show is Jimmy Fallon, right? Right, right. Well, in Life Group, there are no stars. This isn't the Life Group show starring the Life Group leader. The only stars there should be are the ones outside, right? Yeah, for real. You know, Life Group's are not a space where the Life Group leader gets to showcase his or her abilities because groups that empower involve everyone. However, in order to have groups that empower, not only do we need leaders that empower, but we also need members willing to get uncomfortable. So let, let's, let's use our imaginations for a second as we go back to our passage, right? So we, we are told that Jesus you know, called together his disciples, gave the power and authority to, to cast out all demons, to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God to heal the sick, right? We are told that. But can you... Can you imagine, though, the discomfort that these disciples must have felt? This is their first time going out and talking to people about the gospel. This is their, their first time healing people. This is their first time casting out demons. My, my, my goodness, I can't imagine the fear and the awkwardness that these 12 guys had. And I don't know about y'all, but when, when I get nervous, I get the bubble guts. I know y'all know what the bubble guts are. They're right here. Y'all know what they are. Y'all know it. And I'm willing to get to bet that these guys had the bubble guts as well. Right? This is their first time doing ministry. So no doubt, they had the bubble guts. And despite that, as verse 6 says, they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. Somehow, these disciples cast aside their discomfort to do the things that they were empowered and sent to do. If we, as a church, believe that groups that, that, that empower involve everyone, we as group members have to be willing to get uncomfortable. Our group leaders may ask us to do things that we don't feel comfortable doing. We may not feel comfortable praying in front of people. We may feel awkward leading discussion time. We may feel, you know, awkward, you know, picking YouTube videos to to, to sing worship to. And it could feel awkward and, and, and uncomfortable at first, but it probably felt awkward and uncomfortable for the disciples as well. But it is in the discomfort and the awkwardness that we grow. Because the, the same disciples who probably had the bubble guts in Luke 9 are the same disciples that did mighty and powerful works of God in the book of Acts and beyond. 
So God uses our discomfort to make us more like Jesus. So let's embrace the discomfort as we get into our life groups. If we have, if we have leaders that are committed to empowering group members, and if we have group members that are willing to get uncomfortable as they're being empowered, not only do I think that we have a great life group season, but specifically, I think that we'll see three things start to happen. We'll see ownership, effectiveness, and multiplication. So, so first, I, I, I think that we'll take ownership of our life groups because we are committed to our, our group's flourishing. As we are doing the work it takes to make a life group work, we will naturally take ownership of it. When I was a, a teenager, and even, even in colleges as well, I was a part of a, a Christian youth organization back home in Chicago called uh, the Older Boys and Girls Conference. Now, I know that name sounds confusing, but I promise you it was a whole organization, not just the conference. It's a long story. But anyway, the purpose of this group was to train up young people for, for Christian leadership. And as a result of that mission, the, the group itself was composed of a bunch of different uh, uh, committees, all led by people under the age of 20. Right? So, so, for example, there was the, the executive committee whose, whose, job, whose job it was to, uh, to make rules for the group. So, so that group was composed of the, the president, the vice president, and, and all the committee chairmen. There was the, uh, the Vespers Committee, whose job it was to, uh, to plan Bible studies for the group that we had after each meeting. Uh, there was the Hospitality Committee, whose job it was to, uh, to plan service you know, outings that, that we did in the community. And me, myself, I was a part of the Vespers Committee for a while. I was, uh, I was a part of the, uh, the Activities Committee for a little bit, so, I, so my job was, 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 was to plan activities for the group. Uh, I was the president for a little bit. I was the vice president. My, my point is, I was really involved in this group for a long time, as were a lot of my friends. And we, we each played our part to ensure this organization's success. And because we each played our part, we felt as though the group was ours because it was. The group was successful, even though it was made up by a, of a bunch of people who were normally viewed as irresponsible. And then the, the reason why it was so successful was because the group wasn't just the thing that we attended every second and fourth Sunday of the month, but it was our group because our hard work went into making it flourish. And since it was our group, it made the work we did a little bit more enjoyable and a little bit easier as well. And I believe the same thing will be true of our life groups. When we all play our parts in the group, we will be able to say that this is our group. It's not just some group we go to once a week, but this is our group. When we take ownership of our life groups, the work that we do in them won't seem boring or unenjoyable because we are committed to making our groups flourish. The second thing I think we'll see as a result of having empowering groups, is that our, our groups will grow in effectiveness. When we have live groups that are empowering, they become more effective. So let's, let's take a look at Luke chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. It says, When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. 
Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this man about whom I hear such stories? He kept trying to see him. So I have to be honest, guys. I'm a bit annoyed with Luke concerning these verses because they seem so insignificant. Like, what's the point of, like, including these, bro? Like, like I don't get it. Because, because look, look okay, if, if you read Luke, it doesn't even, like, match up with the section that follows it. It, it, it doesn't. And, you know, y'all, y'all can go home and see what I'm talking about later on. But my, my question is, why did Luke even involve this little bit about Herod? It just seems so dumb. I don't know. So there, there are two things going on here. First, according to Joel Green's commentary on Luke, Luke interjects this section on here as someone of a, someone of a, of a dark cloud in the narrative, an, an, an omen of bad things to come. Original readers of Luke would have already come across Herod in Luke chapter 3, where Luke writes that Herod was publicly criticized by John the Baptist for marrying his brother's wife and for many other wrongs he had done. And as a result of being publicly criticized by John, Herod puts John into prison. And this is information that, like like I said, that the original readers would have already known. And so imagine the shock of an original reader of Luke when they read in Luke 9 verse 7 that concerning Jesus, some were saying, Wait, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead? Imagine the, the horror when they read in verse 9 where, where Herod says, I beheaded John. So who is this man about whom I hear such stories? So Luke is, is suggesting to his audience and to us that the same fate that met John awaits Jesus and his disciples. In fact, we see that this is the case for Jesus later on in the gospel where, where Herod plays a role in his death. History tells us that, that most of the, of the disciples were martyrs for the gospel. But, but isn't, isn't, that something? isn't that something, though? Because just when things are getting good, that's when Herod comes into the picture. Right? Jesus is, is, is casting out demons. He's, he, he's, he, he's you know, talking about the, the, the good news. He, he's healing folks left and right. He's doing all these great things. His disciples are, are doing their own ministry. And right at that point, that's when Herod rears his ugly little head to signify that trouble will come. Herod's presence, however, not only signifies trouble, but it also points to something else. According to the commentary, the, the second reason why Luke inserts this bit about Herod, right after discussing Jesus sending out his disciples, is to suggest that Jesus' ministry grew in effectiveness due to the disciples being sent out. In Mark's gospel, he tells us that Jesus sent out the disciples in pairs, two by two. And so they were able to reach more people than Jesus ever could on his own, right? No doubt, as as the disciples preached, healed, and cast out demons, stories about them and Jesus would have spread, and eventually word got to Herod. Because the disciples were sitting in pairs, Jesus' ministry became more effective 
And Herod's confusion about who Jesus is proves it. But, but peep the progression, though, right? So, so Jesus empowers his disciples to do ministry. He sends them out. And as a result, his ministry grew and became more effective, all because Jesus empowered his disciples. And in the same way, when we have life groups that are empowering, they will become more effective. They become more effective at, at loving one another, more effective at praying for one another, and more effective at reaching out to new people. When everyone has meaningful involvement, the group becomes more effective in its mission than if the leader were doing all of the work alone. So as a result of our groups becoming empowered, not only will we see ownership and effectiveness in our life groups, but we'll also see multiplication of our life groups. When we have groups that are empowered, they will naturally start to grow to the point where new groups have to be formed out of the original group. Multiplication is a key principle in God's kingdom. When God created Adam and Eve, he told them to multiply and fill the earth. Jesus himself describes his kingdom in Matthew 13 as a a tiny mustard seed that becomes the largest plant in a garden. He then compares the kingdom of heaven to a a small batch of yeast that a woman uses to make bread. And this yeast multiplies to the point where it permeates an entire batch of dough, so much so that it's able to feed a hundred people. Later on in Matthew 28, Jesus tells us to make disciples of all nations. So, Multiplication is a natural occurrence in the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, let's go deep. The reason why branches is a church is due to multiplication. We as a church were planted from a church in Syracuse called Vineyard Community Church. People from that church who are still with us today felt compelled to plant a vineyard church here in Warsaw and the rest is history. But let's go even deeper. If you call yourself a Christian this morning, right? all of us who, 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 who know Jesus came to know him from someone else who told us about him. And they, in turn, came to know him through someone else. So the reason why we are even Christians is because of multiplication. I'm willing to bet that if we could, each of us could trace our Christian lineage down through history. To one of those 12 disciples that Jesus empowered and sent all those years ago. Now, as I'm saying this, I I recognize that there is this um, uh, temptation to remain comfortable and resist multiplication. I I get it. I get it. If our groups are going well, you know, we we, we may like the way that things are and won't want them to change. However, if we don't change and don't multiply, our life groups won't meet their full potential. The mission of our life groups isn't to just have a good time by ourselves, to ourselves. We want to branch out to the community of Warsaw and see the lives, see lives change for God's kingdom. 
In our life groups, we want to be about multiplication so that we are able to pray for more people, reach more people, care for more people, and yes, empower more people. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to talk about some, uh, some possible next steps for the week. So every morning after the message, we, we, we ask ourselves, what are some, some possible next steps that the Holy Spirit could be guiding us to do as a result of the message? So some next steps could, could be to pick your group, to think and pray about your part, and to also commit. So maybe the Holy Spirit is urging you to be a part of a life group. If that's the case, decide today that you will sign up for a life group next Sunday. So so next week, there's going to be a booth out there in the lobby where where you can sign up. But but there's also going to be a space on the Church Center app as well for signups. But also, think, think and pray about your part. Because we all have a part to play in our life groups. Because life groups involve everyone. So maybe you are good at organizing and can organize meals, or maybe, you know, you, you, you like to lead discussion questions. Whatever it is, think and pray about what your role in your life group could be, even if it feels uncomfortable. Maybe this is something that you, that you can talk to God about. So write down your prayer on the orange car in the, in the seat back pocket, however you may be feeling. And thirdly, Commit. So if you join a life group, don't just be a watcher. Commit to being a doer. Commit to getting involved and putting your heart into it. Commit to taking ownership of your life group. Commit to praying for your life group. View this as your group because it is. It is. This is your group. And God can use you in your life group to change lives and bring folks to the kingdom. So to fully close us out, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll enter ministry time. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you so much for, just for your word. We, we thank you so much for this life group season. Lord, I pray that you would do mighty works through us this season. Lord, help us to, to reach out to more people, to pray. Help us to empower others in our groups. Lord, help us to, to take ownership of our life groups, Lord. Lord, please let this be a time where we are refreshed, where we are renewed. Please help this be a time where we, where we see your mighty hand at work through us as we are in life group. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As a church who strives to be a spirit-centered community, we um, want to take time every Sunday to press 